Let us rise from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. This is God's word. Please give it your careful attention. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, KCPC. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, I do notice that there are some college students who are back from the break. So if you're a college student, can I, can I see a hand? Raise your hand, college students. So let's give them a hand, actually, for welcome them back. It's spring break, and we welcome our college students because they are also a valuable, essential member of our church. And they are the future of, of, our, of our church, of this congregation. That's why we serve them through our social ministry, and we continue to pray for them, and we visit them. And so uh, we're going to, I'll share a little bit more about later uh, during the announcements about our visitation dates and what we have planned for you guys uh, this week. But uh, let's get into the text today. So let's bow our heads in prayer, and let me just quickly pray for us, and we'll begin. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, that you have demonstrated to us through Christ Jesus, who came down into our world so that we may be known and treasured and loved by you, Father. Lord, we thank you so much for all those who are gathered here. And we especially pray and thank the college students who are visiting for spring break. And some of them still aren't back, but Lord, the ones who are here too, Lord, we just want to thank you for them. We pray that, Lord, that you would use them for your glory, especially this year with our theme of engaging the lost. Lord, may their purpose and goal being in college may not just simply be to get good grades and prepare for their future, but Lord, for them to be the witnesses, salt and light into the dark world, God, that you have sent so that, Lord, many will see and taste and see that the Lord Jesus is good. So, God, would you use our colleges, our precious college students for your glory And we thank you. Would you speak to us now through this text? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To those of you who grew up in the church, you may have heard this passage before on the lost sheep. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus teaches what spiritual community looks like. The whole chapter 18. But today's passage, the main point, the main command that Jesus gives us is found in verse 10. It says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. And Jesus illustrates this point with a parable on how when one sheep wanders away from the fold, the shepherd goes out of his way to search for that lost sheep. Then this begs the question, what does Jesus mean by do not despise? Well, the Greek word for despise is kataphroneo, which means also to think little of. In other words, to to look down on. And what is the opposite of looking down on someone? Is to respect them, to value them. 
But also notice that Jesus doesn't only command us to not despise, but also see that you do not despise. Do you often live and operate instinctively? Or do you consider and see yourself intently? And so I want to study this passage under three headings, three points. And I want you to consider and see yourself as we consider these three points. So first, first point, for those of you who like to take notes, who we must value. And number two, how we must value. And number three, why we must value. So first, who we must value. And according to this passage, there are two descriptions of who exactly we must value. Number one, the little ones. And number two, the lost sheep. So who is Jesus referring to when he says little ones? Well, children. If you look with me in the earlier part of Matthew chapter 18, in verse 5 and 6, it says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones. You see that phrase repeated again. We see that exact same phrase from verse 6, also used in, the begin- in, in verse 10. So what is Jesus saying when he says children? I mean, is he simply talking about people younger than 18? Or just little children, like in elementary school? Those who are still considered dependents? Well, if you go back to the earlier part of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus brings a child before his disciples and says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are called to become childlike in their relationship with God. So what are children like? Well, they are needy, often helpless without their parents, but they also are submissive to their parents, hopefully. But think about this. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are not merely justified, forgiven of our offense before the ultimate judge in heaven, but we are also adopted as the children of God. We have just sung. This holy judge becomes our heavenly father. We are needy, helpless without him. We submit to his guidance and instructions. So these little ones are referring to the adopted children of God. And Jesus is saying, don't look down on God's children, but value them. Now, at face value... You might hear this and think, yeah, you know, seems doable. I think I could do this. But let me ask you this. When you look at the church, KCPC, let's look at our church, your spiritual community, is there anyone that you are looking down upon? Perhaps you look down on the new Christians who still have much room to grow, the weaker believers who get stumbled, tempted easily, those who aren't serving in the church in any way, perhaps you look down on those who have blue-collar jobs, those who, have gone, those who haven't gone through higher education, those with lower income than you. 
Perhaps you look down on the older first-generation Korean Americans who can't speak English very well. Perhaps you're looking down on those with different viewpoints from you, whether it's theological, political, practical, philosophical. Perhaps you look down on those who are socially awkward, the social rejects, the outcasts, people that don't really seem to fit in anywhere. Perhaps you look down on those who are coming late to church, those who party hard on Saturday night, those who are committing specific sins that you are mm, repulsed by. Perhaps you're looking down on actual children or young students of our church because of their lack of knowledge and experience in life. Which of these little ones do you need to value and not despise in your heart? Now, who is Jesus referring to when he says, the lost sheep? And I believe it refers to a Christian who is going astray, wandering away from their walk with God. So the natural question is this, who are the wandering sheep within this flock, within our church? Perhaps it's the professing Christians who are falling into specific habitual sins that significantly harm themselves or others or both, whether consciously or unconsciously. Perhaps it's the professing Christians who are consumed by the pleasures and the ambitions of the world at the cost of finding satisfaction in Jesus. Perhaps it's the professing Christians who are struggling to trust God due to the life's hardships circumstances, trials that they're placed in. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are honest with ourselves, we are all guilty of looking down on or despising certain groups of people within the church. But Jesus is not merely warning us through this passage. Jesus is commanding us to value, care for these little ones and the lost sheep. So let's get real practical here. Ask yourself this question. Who are the individuals in this church that you are uncomfortable with? Let's start there. Too many of us are too comfortable with the people that we usually interact with. We're so used to going to our own little cliques that we go to right after service. Some of us are only comfortable with our own age groups. or people who share the same interests. And I just want to say I really appreciate the welcoming team uh, because they are the first to greet you with their wonderful smiles and greetings, regardless of who walks through those doors, but also because they are the ones who will connect you to the body of Christ. But however, this job is not merely for the welcoming team It's all of our responsibilities, right? Just like how the worship team here does not exist to worship God on your behalf. We lead in worship, but the whole congregation must worship with the team. In the same way, the welcoming team does not exist to welcome people on your behalf. They lead in welcoming others. But the whole congregation, everybody, must welcome one another. So can I ask you to commit to doing this, KCPC? Say this with me. I will 
welcome and greet one person who I don't normally talk to each Sunday. Can I ask you to do that? So even after our, our service is over, we go to the well, second floor upstairs to do our fellowship. Greet someone that you have never spoken to or that you're unfamiliar with. And I want to challenge you today to reach out to that one individual. And what a perfect Sunday to do so, knowing that many of our college students are back for the break, right? So, okay, Pastor John, I, I get that we must value those we do not feel comfortable with, these little ones, the lost sheep. But how do we do that? Which leads us to our second point, how we must value. So what do we do to value these little ones within the body of Christ? And now I have three sub-points within this point. First is we care individually. Second is we care by seeking. And third, we care by rejoicing. So first, we care individually. If we go back to verse 10 again of this passage, it says, see that you do not despise one, one of these little ones. So what do we see here? One at a time. We see in this passage that the man, likely a shepherd, values that one sheep so much that he leaves behind the 99. 100 is not an impossibly high number, but still considerable enough to not be able to notice when one goes missing, right? When you look at them as a bunch, especially. However, the shepherd in this parable definitely noticed that one was missing. But not only that, he must have known which one was missing. Which means that the shepherd not only cares about his flock, but he knows his flock on an individual basis. So we can assume depth, intimacy in the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. I mean, if I looked at a bunch of sheep, I would not be able to tell them apart, let alone to see if there's one missing. So how can we care for the individuals in such a big church like this? Well, Pastor David Moon always says this, right? This is why we have community groups, to make big church feel smaller and more intimate. And that way we can focus on loving and caring about the individuals that we are committed to. I don't know if some of you read the newsletter this past week from Pastor David. Uh, We have an EC newsletter uh, through email. Uh, I really love this. He says, if you are not in a CG community group, you have not experienced KCPC. But another reality is, is we need more KCPC members to step up to be leaders. Many current leaders are already swamped with so many individuals to care for, to reach out to. Brothers and sisters, do you know the the individuals within your community groups? Do you know how each of them are doing? What are they struggling with? What are their prayer requests? Are you praying for them? I encourage you to meet up with your fellow members individually, one-on-one, if possible. I mean, this is why the most effective evangelism is not just going out into the public somewhere and just screaming, repent, right? And shouting out what the gospel is. 
the most effective way to evangelism is deep, personal, individual outreach. Building individual relationships with the unbeliever. To understand where he or she is coming from. What are they struggling with in their, you know, before they could even take a step of faith towards Christ? Which aspect of the gospel that they need to hear? We have to get to know that. Second sub-point, we care by seeking. Seeking. In verse 12, it says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Go in search of. When the shepherd notices that one of his sheep went astray, we can see that he is significantly bothered. Right? We see that because it's to the point that he leaves the 99, to 99 sheep to seek that one out. Um, when I lose a guitar pick, right, I'm a bit bothered. Okay? And I'll kind of look for it in my room or wherever I, I think I left, I left it. But if I can't find it, not a huge deal. Right? So I would stop looking for it at some point. Because it's not that valuable. However, if I lost my tablet, I would be greatly bothered because it is significantly more valuable than a guitar pick, right? So I would be on a mission to look for it until it is found. It did happen to me once or twice, so yeah. Um, But brothers and sisters, now that you have identified who these little ones, the lost sheep are, are you actively seeking them, reaching out to them? Do you value the people within your community group enough to take the initiative and reach out? What about your unbelieving friend, family, coworkers, classmates, roommates? Or do you passively wait until something hopefully happens that might lead me to somehow make me do, you know, reaching out? And if you notice in verse 12, it seems like the shepherd is actually leading the hundred sheep to travel through the mountains, the mountains. And you can imagine the mountains are very difficult to navigate through, right? There must be many obstacles that could easily lead the sheep to fall, get stuck somewhere, or even get lost. And the actual wandering sheep that we need to reach out to It might be inconvenient or even uncomfortable. We sometimes have to go out of our way to reach the lost. It will take time, effort, sometimes planning and intent. And that's why Jesus continues in the next section of Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 and onward, that if a brother sins against you, go to him. We got to search him out and tell him his fault And if he listens to you and reconciles, you have gained your brother. Intentional confrontation is sadly rare to see within Korean churches. Right? Conflict occurs, and what happens? We just move to the next church. A sheep is so foolish that it can go on its own and get killed by wolves and other predators. 
namely their own sins, idolatry, and the tempter, Satan. But the good shepherd sometimes must discipline the sheep firmly to make sure it does not go to its danger. If a fellow believer falls into a grievous sin, how must we react? Well, not to reject them, but also not to condone their behavior and their sins, right? So how exactly do we love them? By speaking the truth gently but firmly with love behind the intent. Addressing the sin but also assuring your love for them. But in contrast, what would it look like to despise someone who falls into sin? There are two extreme ways to despise them. First way is to just condemn them that they just need to do better. Second way is to completely ignore them, not say anything. So yes, we must seek out our fellow Christians who may have sinned greatly. Otherwise, he or she would stay blind to his own sins and lost in his own way. And third sub-point, we care by rejoicing. Verse 13, it says, And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over, uh, over, it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Notice that the shepherd does not get angry or annoyed thinking that the lost sheep was just wasting his time. I mean, why rejoice over one, one lost and found more than over the 99 that never went astray? I remember uh, one time I lost my wallet uh, and I was so distressed that I couldn't even function properly and it kept consuming my mind. And during that time, you know, was I able to say, oh, but I still have my keys, I still have my phone, so everything's fine. Was I able to say that? No, (laughs) right? When something or someone precious to you is missing, you, you cannot be content. You cannot be at peace until he or she is found. But there's not just only a relief when something is found. There's true rejoicing. I found it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And in the body of Christ consists of many different kind of members. We celebrate together if one member is honored. If one member comes home. How often do you rejoice and celebrate with each other? Is that a practice in your own life, within your community groups? Or are you the type of person who is not moved by even a small step forward a fellow Christian makes in his or her sanctification and growth? Because the reality is even our Heavenly Father is certainly ecstatic by one of his children making the first baby step towards him. In Sojourn Ministry, um, our, which is our college ministry again, we have several students who are out of state. So we try to do our best to reach out to um, them from time to time by messaging them, messaging them individually. 
And I've recently met a new member of our church, and I found out that she was actually a former out-of-state student of mine, and she thanked me for reaching out to her while she was in school, and she said that it was one of the reasons why she came back to KCPC. Uh, this meant so much to me when I heard that because I honestly didn't even remember that I reached out to her until I went back and checked the messages. Oh, I did reach out to her. But all that is to say, this encouraged me greatly because there are many occasions I wonder if I'm making a difference, right? When I visit, when we do visitations, when we reach out to students, but I was reminded that my call in ministry is not to make results happen, but to simply be faithful with the tasks I've been given. To keep seeking, reaching out to our college students, even on an individual level. Even when it feels like I'm not doing something that extraordinary. And I shared this with the Sojourn team. Uh, thank God for you guys. Uh, and we celebrated together. And it reminded me, uh, it reminded us that even a small act of care and outreach is not in vain. It amounts to something. One of our many college students has found her spiritual home, and we rejoice over this, that one of God's valuable children has come home. So, Pastor John, we understand who and how to value the little ones and the lost sheep, but why do we do these things? And that's our final point, why we must value because we are the little ones. Because we are the lost sheep that is found. By none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our great shepherd. Why must we care for the little ones individually? Because every single little ones matter to our God, and this includes you. God isn't just vaguely familiar with you. He knows you personally, deeply. And he knows you by name. John chapter 10 verse 3 says, The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Why must we reach out, seek the little ones and the lost sheep who are lost? Because God reached down to us by coming into the world in flesh when we could not and were unwilling to reach out to him. As a result, we now become his hands, his feet to go and reach out to the lost. The good shepherd Jesus did not seek after us out of convenience nor comfort. He stepped down from his heavenly throne so that we could step out of our comfort zone. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant so that we would be blessed to become blessings to the needy, to the poor in spirit. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we would also humbly pick up our own crosses and die to our own comfort and convenience. Why must we rejoice over the lost being found? Because God also rejoices over lost being found. 
including me. Right? Our, our God does not see the 99 and say, well, I lost one, but at least I had the 99. Nor does he say, oh, what a hassle that I had to go find that one. No, he seeks, he finds, and he celebrates. Perhaps you may identify yourself as a pretty faithful Christian who hasn't made too many mistakes. Perhaps you look at this passage and think that you're a part of the 99. And you might even wonder, why would shepherd Jesus leave us for that one foolish sheep that keeps wandering around? But what if I told you that you are that one wandering sheep? Because if you look with me, Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says in the similar parable, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And from this version of this parable, we see that one sheep being found is equivalent to one sinner who repents, right? Again, what is repentance? What is repentance? Repentance is to turn away from our sins and to turn to Christ. And one of the hallmarks of a true Christian is a life of repentance, right? So Jesus in Luke chapter 15 is actually ironically rebuking those who think that they are righteous, who think that they don't need repentance. No wonder why there's no joy in someone who does not repent. Because they have not experienced the deep grace and mercy that flow as a result of true repentance. Perhaps you've had parents who were disappointed by the grades that you brought home when you were younger. But our Heavenly Father, He's not disappointed in you. He's not just pleased, but rejoices exceedingly over one lost person coming home. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our God rejoices over you. Amen. Not because we're good in ourselves, but because he simply loves you. He is so excited about saving you to the point that he even sings. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. I I, I love this. He says, he did not sing when he made the world. No, he looked upon it and simply said that it was good. The angels sang. The sons of God shouted for joy. Creation was very wonderful to them, but it was not much to God who could have made thousands of worlds by his mere will. Creation could not make him sing. But when it came to redemption, that cost him dear. Here he spent eternal thought, drew up a covenant with infinite wisdom. Here he gave his only begotten son and put him to grief to ransom his beloved ones. When all was done and the Lord saw what became of it in the salvation of his redeemed Then he rejoiced. We see also something similar in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who is for the joy that was set before him, endure the cross, despising the shame, and seated on the right hand of the throne of God. The cross of Jesus Christ was the greatest suffering to ever exist in history because Jesus not only suffered physically, but also suffered the wrath of God by bearing the sins of the world. Yet, he endured for the joy that was set before him. And what is this joy? The joy of finding and securing that lost wayward sinner and for his glory. Brothers and sisters in Christ, will you also rejoice over what God rejoices over? I also want to mention uh, in latter half of verse 10, some of you might have had a question about what what does this mean? It says, for I tell you that in heaven, there are angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So here, the angels are the heavenly beings that are always ready to serve God and do his biddings, right? That's what the angels are. And I like to think of the angels as some high-ranking officials, kind of like royal guards and important messengers who directly serve our God, the king. And yet, God uses these high-ranking angels to serve lowly, humble, weak children like us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, Are they... The angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. I hope that blows your mind. Why does our Heavenly Father do this? Because these children are so valuable, so precious to God that He sends His closest angels, His royal guards, His greatest messengers to watch over them. But guess what? Our Father in heaven actually sends someone even greater than all of these heavenly hosts. If you look with me, Isaiah chapter 53, he prophesies this about the coming Christ. He was despised, despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. What do we see here? There's a lot here, but what we see is our father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be despised, rejected by the very people he came to save and to even receive the wrath of God so that we would never be despised nor receive the wrath of God. Jesus Christ is not just a good shepherd, but he became the sacrificial lamb of God. And this lamb, who was of the highest value 
emptied himself to give us, to give the lost sheep a new identity. And now we are now the most valuable sheep in his pasture. Our value was not found inherent to ourselves, but in the finished work of the Lamb of God. Our value was not found in our inherent to what we do, but what Christ has done. And this is why we do not have the right to despise each other. So brothers and sisters, let us not despise one another, but value one another because Christ values us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Um, and as we conclude, I want to bring our attention to verse 14 of this passage to conclude. It says, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Our heavenly Father does not will for any of his children to perish. Did you hear that? Notice he does not say the Father desires. It says the Father's will. Right? This is not merely a wish that God has for us. It is his commitment to see things through. Our God promises that not one of his children will be lost forever. Not a single one. But some of you may have this fear. Man, I've wandered away from God so many times for so long that I'm not sure if God will welcome me back. And this is our shepherd's message for you from Ezekiel chapter 34. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And some of you may wonder if you're going to continue and make it to the end of this long Christian journey ahead. And this is our shepherd's message for you. In John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. That should give us confidence. That should give us confidence. So let us trust in the good shepherd. Let us return to the good shepherd. Let us ask him to take our hearts and seal it for his courts above. Let's pray together. And before we close our time in in a song of praise and worship and response, I want you to just pray just just two, two prayer topics. But before that, I want you to consider again, see yourself. How faithful have we been to our God? I mean, let's be really honest. Our hearts are prone to wander. And sure, you may have come to church faithfully each Sunday. Sure, you may have been even serving within the church community. But in your heart, what have you been worshiping? And whatever it is that your heart has been consumed with, you are far more sinful than you realize. Every one of us is a wandering sheep. And does our shepherd abandon us each time we wander away? No, 
he does not give up on you. He continues to pursue, search, seek us until we are found. So let's take a moment to repent before our great shepherd and ask him to help us to trust that he is good, that he is the good shepherd that will take care of me. And secondly, let's also take a moment to pray that God would empower us to value, care, seek, reach out, and rejoice over our fellow little ones, fellow lost sheep with the reasons that he's given to us in his word. Let's take a moment to do that, shall we?